Praise the Lord. We're in uh, the first epistle of John, chapter 2. And you know, singing that uh, last hymn there, uh, was, we were up in Calendar uh, last week uh, for a day out, and we uh, we saw the, the house that I think it was Moses McNeil apparently lived in with his family. And if he was one of the, what's called the gallant pioneers or the founders of Rangers, and you know, I, I have heard that the founders of Rangers were evangelical Christians. And I hope that's true, and maybe somebody can enlighten me and give me some more information on that, but, but that is what, what apparently is the case. And it's good to know that so many teams actually, uh, particularly in England, were founded by churches or were Christian groups that started to Everton, I believe, and I think Liverpool and others, West Brom, all these different, and, and there's a strong church or Christian connection with many of these teams down in England, and of course they sing Abide With Me at the FA Cup final, don't they? I uh, wish we did stuff like that up here. And you know, I long for the day when we go to a football match and they're not singing chants of the football team, but they're singing hymns. Wouldn't that be great? Because they are so, the glory has come down in Scotland so much that they just want to, they don't want to sing about Rangers or Celtic or Partick Thistle. Nobody wants to sing about Partick Thistle, let's be honest. Um, but, but they want to sing about the Lord. Amen. Now, they can throw in the odd Rangers song for me, that'll do. But, you know, the people are so in fact, because, you know, if you think about it, people will sit in church but they'll go to a, a football match, they'll put their hands up, they'll shout at the top of their voice, you know, and a lot of times, sadly, football supporting is really just a substitute for worship of God, isn't it? And people get idolatrous about football teams. In fact, uh, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't tell this story myself, but somebody reminded me, there's, it was the anniversary, a long time ago, the 33rd anniversary of the game, Rangers 2, Celtic 2, and it was a really uh, hot-headed game. Some players got sent off and stuff, and somebody reminded me of my antics on that day. I was backslid. It's my defence. I, was, I wasn't really walking with the Lord at the time. Uh, but you get passionate, don't you, about football or your football team. But if we showed the same passion and fervour for the Lord, then things would be a whole lot different. But anyway, we're in... Um, first John, and as what we, what we read in a reading from verse 18 onwards, chapter 2, is quite serious and sobering and somber stuff. Little children, it is the last time. Now, when John wrote this, you know, nigh on 2,000 years ago, he was saying it's the last time. And a lot of people say, oh, we're in the end times, are we in, you know, the, the end of days and all that. Well, really, biblically speaking, we've been in the end times or the last time since Jesus rose from the dead and went to sit at the right hand of God, the Father. Um, but every day that goes by, we're deeper into the last time, you could say. And he says it is the last time. And, you know, a lot of stuff that's going on in the world right now, people are saying, oh, the mark of the beast is coming, or it's here, or, or the Antichrist is coming. But John gives us a different perspective, and it's a Holy Spirit perspective, because it's a Bible perspective. And sometimes we need the Bible to uh, pull us back from 
I would say a lot of Hollywood, a lot of films about, oh, it's the end times, have been made over the years. And a lot of, a lot of preaching on this is Hollywood preaching. You know, and it's, it's lurid and it's, oh, well, we're all going to uh, this, we're all going to perish or whatever. But John says, no, it's the last time. It is now. So if it was 2,000 years ago and, you know, nothing has happened since then to wind everything up, then, yes, we're deeper into the end times. But it puts a perspective on it, doesn't it? Because, you know, uh, when it was 1,000 AD, people were saying, oh, that's it, the world's going to end. And 1,000 AD, well, it's over 1,000 years since then, and the world hasn't ended. Okay? The world doesn't end when your football team gets beat, just to keep the football analogy. So, Peter, you're okay. Okay? Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, it is the last time, it says. Or what we would maybe say is the end of the world. But when we talk about the end of the world, the Bible uses a different word than we think of the world as just the physical world. It means the end of the age. And when Jesus died, when he rose again, and when he was uh, taken to the right hand of God the Father, ascended and glorified, that signified a new age in the earth. And we're still in that age. It's, you could call it the church age, the Christian age, but it's an age of the gospel and an age of the kingdom where we will see and are supposed to see and have seen as we prayed earlier on, manifestations of God's kingdom coming. And we've seen it in Scotland. Those years uh, when Scotland was called the land of the book and its people were the people of the book, we've seen these days. But the devil and his minions will always resist that until... They are finally put down. But we're living in times right now where you could say the darkness, the kingdom of darkness, has gained an ascendancy and uh, a prominence that maybe it's never had in our life. Although we've had the wars, First World War, Second World War, they weren't a picnic. Um, so we have had bad to even in, in the last hundred years. And there's always been wars, haven't there? There's always been disasters and things. There have always been times when darkness, it looked like the light would be snuffed out. But every time God has answered and sent revival, or as I was praying earlier, sent victories to us. We spoke about the angel of Mons Mon in our prayers uh, and so on. But he says it's the last time. And you have heard, as you've heard, the Antichrist shall come. Everybody said, oh, the Antichrist is coming. Uh, well, he says, they must have been saying that back then. He says, you've heard that Antichrist shall come. And if there have been many speculations as to who Antichrist was in the recent past, people thought it was Mussolini. And uh, people thought it was Adolf Hitler. And uh, but, but the latest one I've heard, lots of people saying it was Barack Obama. And different people that people do. And of course, the classic reform position is that Antichrist is not one man, but is an office that men sit in, which is the papacy. Uh, the man of sin, the son of perdition. Uh, and many of the reformers taught that and believed that. Many of Protestant Christians, evangelical Christians, have believed that and still believe that. But it, it, when I was younger, it was a much more popular view. Amen. 
but now you need to watch what you say about these things. And I'm just, I'm just going to throw this out here. If you want to know who has power, who rules over you, ask yourself who you can't criticise. Or there'll be a wee. You can criticise a whole bunch of folk, including Her Majesty the Queen, who is the head of the established church here in England, and I believe in Scotland, in a less formal way. But you can criticise the Queen all day. And you can criticise other figures. You can criticise Michael Sturgeon. You can criticise Boris Johnson. But you have to ask, who can you not criticise today unless you want to fall foul of the boys in blue? And I don't mean the Rangers. Amen. Anyway, we'll leave that there. I'll leave that for you to ponder. They went out from us. And this is interesting. It says, even now are there many antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. He says, everybody's looking for the Antichrist, and you've probably seen the films or you've read books or whatever. Oh, the Antichrist is coming, and, and the internet is rife with it just now. YouTube videos galore. Oh, the Antichrist, look at the times we live in. And, Paul, and John actually lived in similar times. It's clear from his writings. And it's interesting as well because when John wrote this, there were no popes. <laughs> But he says, even now, are there many antichrists? There are many antichrists. In fact, you want to bump into an antichrist, just get in the street, stand there, and one will bump into you. And it's not saying that all these people, oh, they're all, you know, we're better than them, we're Christians, they're antichrists. He goes on to identify what antichrist is. And, and, and there's a sense of which everybody who's not a follower of the Lord Jesus is an antichrist. But there is that aspect of it that when you look for antichrist, you don't have to go much further than our governments. You don't have to go much further than Glasgow City Council, the city chamber. Because if you're speaking about antichrist from the perspective of leaders who are not God-fearing leaders, and are not Christian leaders, and bring in laws and regulations and, and protocols, that are against God's word, then they're antichrist, huh? So we're taking away a lot of the the Hollywood out of it and looking at it practically and saying, you know, we live in a world where there's darkness. We live in a world where not everybody's a Christian. It's great to sit here in a fellowship and listen to this wonderful preaching and listen to the wonderful music. But when we have to go out there and go to Asda in the afternoon or you know, we have to get back into the real world. We're, we're bumping into people who, some of them are hostile to a, a friend of mine was saying the other day, he's got this, uh, I think a minibus fan thing, and he's got Christian stuff written on the side of it, and he wanted to park it in a street to avoid parking charges. So, so he chapped somebody's door to say, is it okay if I leave my van out there, you know, the guy gave him an absolute mouth. I know you, 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 you know. And he absolutely abused him just because he was a preacher. So we live in a world like that. Um, and John's acknowledging that. He says there are many antichrists. There are many people who are not for us that are against us. He says, and we know because of this that it's the last time. If all these people loved us, we were living in revival. 
And we want that, we pray for that, we believe for that, we know that God's going to send it. But even I believe in the midst of revival, you're going to have people, in fact, the people who hate you will hate you even stronger when God is moving. He says, because there are many antichrists, we know it's the last thing. But look at this verse here, folks. This is amazing. Verse 19. They went out from us. Do we think of antichrists as people from another country, another religion, another part of the world, you know, somewhere that, oh, they hate the Christians and, and they're antichrists because they hate us. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Again, read the Bible. You know, and a lot of people would, you know, and, and I'm going to say this, a lot of people think, oh, Muslims, Muslims are terrible, they hate Christians, they hate us, they hate us. No, I don't think every Muslim hates Christians, do you? I don't believe that. And I don't, if, by definition of this, are the Muslims antichrist? Because it says the antichrist, of which there are many, went out from us. They didn't come over here from the Middle East and other far-flung lands. They went out from us. That identifies the Antichrist, what, what we would call from the Old Testament, the Shinar. Those that have mutated into something else, you know, and we see that in Scotland. We talk about Scotland, oh, the land of the book, the people of the book. Not anymore. But the descendants of those who were people of the book are the ones that hate you and I today. They went out from us. So to look for Antichrist, we're not looking to some foreign land, some foreign race, some foreign religion. They went out from us, brothers and sisters. But then it says, but they were not of us. You know, a lot of people have apostatized, and, and I believe that we're not just talking about backsliders here, we're talking about generally, you know, we've spoken about this a lot here, I've preached it from here, you, you, we all remember, most of us, uh, Davies only 29, so you might not remember this, uh, the eternal 29 of us, but remember when you were younger, and, well, some of you remember this place packed with people, but, even people that didn't go to church, of many of whom, people went to church and it was just nominal anyway. But they went to church. And if they didn't go to church, they still had respect for people who did. They still had a reverence, they still had a, a fear of God enough about them that they would, they would you know, they, they wouldn't mock you, they wouldn't insult you, they would I'm not saying people didn't, but I'm saying the general... Uh, Spirit of the age back then was that there was respect for the people of God, for the things of God, for churches and so on. But not anymore. Not anymore. That's why um, people will gladly deface church buildings, gladly abuse Christian people and ministers because they went out from us but they were not us. And, and then it says, he goes on, and he makes it very clear, he says, if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. 
Scotland's people are no longer the people of the book, and the people of the book are a remnant, a very small band, as we are today. And this place is not packed today because they went out from us because they were not of us. And if they had continued, they'd be here. That's what he says. Am I right? And our prayers and our labors and our endeavors are for packed church builders again, not because we, we, you know, we want big crowds to make us feel good about ourselves or because we want bigger collections or all these things, but because we want those that went from us to come back to the, to the law. Amen? And until they do, we will see darkness in the land. So our prayers are not selfish prayers. Uh, they're prayers because we want the purpose of God. God's purpose is, is that no, no one should perish, but have everlasting life. But we look at the situation as John does here. You know, John is a, a, it's a wonderful um, epistle, this. They went out from us. If they'd continued with us, but they went out. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out. But they went out. You see, why are churches dwindling? Why are churches closing? Why are church, is church attendance going down? I have heard, I think I've shared it with you, I've, I've heard one pastor tell me who has quite a busy church, two-thirds of the people are not coming back after all this COVID stuff in his church. And that is apparently uh, an average across the board. And the same pastor who told me this, told me of another guy he knows, he's got three or four churches in the top at closing all the end because they, they, they went out. So we ought to be thankful to the Lord that we're going, we're still going. We're still having church because a lot of people aren't. They went out, it says. Now, what are those two-thirds of people doing that used to go to church before two years ago? What are they doing now? Less than two years ago. I don't know. But the Bible says they went out. And I'm not saying that they've all backslidden, that they're all bad people. That's not what I'm saying here. But he's saying that if you're looking for Antichrist, there's many of them. And they used to be among us, but they went. And that's not saying that all the people don't come to church anymore are antichrist. He's not saying that. I'm not saying But what I am saying is as a general principle in society, that's why. And we all remember times where the church had influence and its voice was powerful in the land. But they went out. And it's not just over the last two years anyway, because before the last two years, Churches were still winning, weren't they? And it's not to say that all the churches were evangelical and um, God-ordained and God was moving in those places. In fact, a lot of them, God was no longer moving in those places because Ichabod was written above the door, the glory has departed. See, there's nothing new under the sun. But the good news is, as we'll, we'll read, because if you're all depressed here, there is good news. He says, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Or you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. What that really means is you might not know everything, all things like an encyclopedia, walking encyclopedia. 
Um, but what he means is the one that lives in you, he knows all things. So you know all things because you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. I have not written unto you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. No lie is of the truth. Isn't that a very fitting thing, a very fitting statement from God's word about the world we live in? Because we're living in a world where the lie is now accepted as the truth. Am I right? There's 497 genders and growing. That's a lie. In fact, one of these famous professors, it's always on TV, I don't remember really his name, Winston something said the other day, scientifically, it's impossible to change a gender. There are, there are only two genders. And he's got flack for it. But, he's, but when they say follow the science, they don't mean follow scientists like him. They mean follow scientists who will tell you lies. But no lies of the truth, the Bible says. And what that really means is there are lies and there is truth, and only God's word is true. Everyone else is a liar. Um, he says, I, who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. So here's how to spot an antichrist, somebody that denies that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, someone that says, oh, I'm not Christian, I'm not, I'm not believing in that rubbish. In whatever way they say it. So really, in a sense, in a very real sense, he's talking about the majority of people that aren't Christians. But he's not saying it in a condemnatory way or in a we're superior because we're Christians way far from it. What he's saying is this is the reality of the world we live in. And that's why every week and at every meeting really we pray for revival because we want the people that deny him because they don't know him. And the Bible tells us that the God of this world, which is Satan, he's blinded their minds to the truth. So our prayers are that they would, they would be enlightened, like, like we all were, when we heard the gospel. And here, not, not me, but many of you heard that word and Mr. Lawson and others among you, heard that truth. And that's why we should honour and be grateful for and thankful for our, our, this church. Because many of you heard the truth in this church. And the light dawned. And you said, yeah, Jesus is Lord. He's, he's the Christ. He's my Savior. And you know what? You stepped out of being an antichrist, if you were. I think antichrist is talking about people that are militantly anti-Christian, rather than just people that are, you know, they've never heard the word or whatever. He says, whosoever denieth. And I, I think what it really means is people, oh, no, 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 no. And some of us were like that. Praise God, though. He says, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Praise God that we acknowledge the Son. And when we acknowledge the Son, we got the Father, we got the package. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and all the blessings 
that he has for every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, the blessing of Abraham, all these things came to me. And then he said, let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning, if that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. You know, um, it's so important. When it says in the beginning, you can say there are different ways of interpreting that. But for, as I was just saying there, for, for those of us who, when we first became Christians, the things that mattered to us and the things that God showed us then, the reality of God's word, God's truth, and all the, the, the things that, in God, he says, let that remain in you. Amen? A lot of people like to think, or they trick themselves and delude themselves, that, well, back then when I first became a Christian, I was naive, you know, I believed, you know, every word of the Bible was true, but I don't know if I believe that now. Because they allow their intellects to become bigger than their hearts. And then you get people say, ah, well, you know, see that book of the Bible, I don't even think that's inspired. And you get people like that, sadly. And people grow in their intellect beyond their faith. I knew one man in particular who was gloriously saved and started preaching and teaching very, very quickly and was very anointed and, and really blessing people with his message until he went to Bible college. Not my Bible college, another one, but you know, a, a, a more uh, fuddy-duddy one. And a lot of the stuff that he preached back then when God was using him, he no longer believes. Because his intellect is more important than his heart. Understand? So, but John says, don't do that. He says, that, let that therefore abide in you which you've heard from the beginning. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And some of you learned that here at Sunday School. That's all the theology you need, isn't it? I'm not saying it's all you need, but you understand, when you start to move away from that, oh, that's just child's childish, that's childlike, that's too simple. Things are far more complex, no need. Let that therefore abide in you. That truth that we all need a saviour, and you needed one, and I needed one, and we still need one. Amen? Every second of every day we need him. So let that therefore abide in which you've heard in the beginning. He says, and this is a promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. People will try to seduce you away from the true faith, from the simple faith, from the faith of God that's found in this book, don't let them seduce you. But the anointing which you've received of him abides in you, it stays in you, and you need not that any man teach you. That's not saying that you don't need to come to church, you don't need a pastor, you don't need a teacher. He's saying you, you don't need it if you listen to him from his word and as you spend time with him. That's what it means. Amen? You don't need, and especially don't need false teachers. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and his truth and it's no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. He's just simply saying what we say all the time. Stay close to him. Spend time in prayer and reading of his word and meditating on his word. 
And now little children abide in him. It's all about abiding. It's all about staying in that place. Abide in him. That when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him has come. Then he says, if you know that he's righteous, of close it with us. You know, he says, you know. If you know that he is righteous, then you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Why? Because pear trees don't produce apples. Amen? The fruit comes from the root. You're not going to a tree and finding fruit there that's different from the root. So he says, if you're doing righteousness, if you're living right, if you're living close to him, then you know he's righteous because you're producing his fruit in your life. Amen. Well, we'll leave it there, folks. That's chapter 2 covered, unless the Lord takes us back. But we're plowing through this wonderful epistle of John, the first epistle of John, and uh, God willing, we'll take up chapter 3 next week. It, just, it gets better and better as the, the epistle goes on. It's wonderful, wonderful stuff. So praise the Lord for that. Amen.